we take a taxi to our hotel, which turns out to be an old building of fading grandeur and wooden balconies overlooking the central square of Huancaya. Lucho, our Peruvian guide, tracks us down to the hotel bar, and despite my head spinning, we make plans for the next day. Lucho is the man to know in this part of Peru. He owns a restaurant here and arranges trips specialising in the adventurous. He also speaks English, which in this part of Peru is rare. When I first contacted him to find a translator who could travel with us, he volunteered himself. His help and contacts became invaluable to us. If you need something doing, he is the man to get it done. He is full of stories. He was born on the railway which we have just travelled in on and which he now makes it his mission to preserve. His father worked for the railway and Lucho's mother gave birth to him in Huancayo Station. But more about Lucho later. Saturday the 29th of June. I'm still recovering from altitude sickness and couldn't make it out this morning. I'm disappointed not to go, but needed to rest. There were times last night when I wondered if I was going to need a doctor and have to find my way to hospital, but it is afternoon now and I feel much better. I think about why at the age of 46 I've decided to temporarily drop out of my life in London, my full-time job, leave my husband in charge of our two children and set out for the Peruvian jungle. I promised my nine-year-old I would return safe and well. It's recording, right? Okay, it's yeah, recording. it's recording. Okay. So, Noah, how do you feel about me going to Peru? Scared. I don't want you to die or get injured or hurt and have to stay in hospital and then miss your flight and then have to be there for another week, meaning that you have to go there for four weeks and maybe, like, get hurt. Oh, I, I promise you I will stay safe and I will come back. You better not break that promise. I will miss you. Yeah. Can we move on to a different topic? This one is upsetting. <laughs> okay, I let's... feel the tears. No, 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 don't feel the tears. Let's change the subject. Them. Okay. My 12-year-old daughter is a bit more understanding. So it's now the night before I'm going to go, so I'm quite nervous. And I'm still packing, and I've still got lots to do. Um, and I'm here with Savina, my daughter. So, um, Dina, how are you feeling about me going? Well, I will miss you because you are, this is the longest in my memory that you've ever been away from us. Um, but I know this is something you've wanted to do for a really long time and I'm really proud of you and I am happy that you get to do something like this. Oh, thank you so much for being so supportive of me. No problem. Uh, I mean, if you had done this when I was younger, I would have thrown a fix. I wouldn't have, want, I wouldn't have wanted you to go. But... Me, Dad, and Noah will be fine. I had lunch dining alone on spaghetti in the hotel restaurant and for a while sat in the square outside the hotel. There is a big Peru football game tonight in the South American Football Championship for Copa America and everyone seems very excited. There are always car horns and they're sort of comforting now. You couldn't be too lonely with so much life happening around you. Just as there were three members of Arthur's original party, Arthur, Alexander Ross and P.G. Clark, 
there are also three members of our group, Ian, myself, and the filmmaker Grant G. Lucho takes Ian and Grant out to see the market and to visit the Okupa Monastery, which was a base for the Catholic missionaries. I've invented this story, and now it continues without me, whether I am in it or not. I catch up with Ian at the end of the day. But we met up with Lucho, who's our um, our guide for the next the next bit, and so he took uh, you and Grant off to have uh, to see around Hankai. He went to a market. If you were trying to invent a day, that would be the worst possible thing for something with even the mildest dose of altitude sickness. This would be it, because Lucio piled us into a car, crazy horns, crazy driving, radio blaring, building up to the football, Copa de America of uh, Peru versus Uruguay, yeah, which yeah. was which was going on. Um, so it's also a big so festival day big everywhere. Festival, festival yeah. of San Pedro, which yeah. is a really big festival. A lot of people choose to get married that day. So every single village square you came to was en fête with uh, usually a band at the back of people who looked like they came out of a Tarantino film. They're all in black suits with dark glasses playing their instruments. And then the dancers are a, are a sort of a historical tableau of everything that has happened in Peru that you have people in masks of Spanish grandees, you have uh, people in blackface as clowns, and at the front is, is a, a, what looks like a man with a sheep's head and a whip, and it turns out he, he represents the whites, he represents the white invaders, and he's whipping at this dancing troupe of um, the Altiplano women who are in very wide sweeping skirts. They're all very nicely made up, all looking very smart, and uh, they they hustle through the towns, often to the church. And out of the church comes the wedding group, and it all mingles together into a kind of swirling madness. And uh, anyone who came through that feeling ill would be <laughs> dizzy. And then beyond... You're, also, you're, you're in a market where, yes, where they're the destination buying was. and killing the animals simultaneously. The was a huge market alongside a river in which the, the mountain people come down in pickup trucks and any old car and tuk-tuks with their animals to sell. And the thing that's extraordinary from uh, an outsider British point of view would be that these animals, the whole process of sheep tied up beside cars, like a car boot sale, um, and then sheep skinned complete on, on tables... And the piles of wool there, all the whole process was going on in this same field. Um, and the sheep seemed to be incredibly calm. I've seen, I've worked briefly as a shepherd in Scotland, and I know how flighty sheep can be and how difficult and how... Did you, when did you work as a shepherd in Scotland? When I was in university in oh, Dublin, yeah. a, a Scottish kind of landlord person said, come and stay on our estate. Oh, that's very nice. So a couple of us weren't up there. And when we got there, we found we weren't actually staying in his house at all, but we were in a tin shack, a bothy, with a, with a shepherd, and we were expected to work as shepherds, um, which was good fun. I enjoyed it. Anyway, the, the, so I'm quite sympathetic to the sheep. But the, these sheep were astonishing. They were really 
calm, even though they were just about to be slaughtered and were being slaughtered. Mm. And there were little nets and sacks full of pigs kicking away. Mm. There was a, a stall of skinned guinea pigs mm. that this woman was holding up to show very mm. proudly. And then there was uh, other women sitting at the curbside selling bags of coca. Mm. And uh, Lucho bought a nice big fat bag of of coca leaves mm. and the little sticks of ash, compressed ash, you have to chew to make the coca have its effect. And it really it really gives you energy. And Arthur, in his account, was very impressed by the way that the, the bearers who were going on their journey with them were able to keep going for many hours just by chewing these mm. leaves. And as a, as a botanist and a planter, he was very, very interested in that and thought this might be a, a very good thing to invest in. Well, I've been drinking lots of coca tea, so that seems to make me feel yeah. better. So today we're um, heading back up to La Arroya. Um So that's a couple of hours in a taxi. That sounded a bit hairy yesterday. Well, the journey, the, journey, the actual journey in the car was totally mad because... They they drive entirely on the horn. There's no right of way. Any, anybody, big trucks come literally onto your lane and straight at you. You you swerve. You then find that these tiny tuk tuk vehicles, which the locals are using, and which they they just curve right across you at any moment. Collisions are missed by an inch. But I think it's quite a good policy which Lucha has to hire the most battered taxi because it means that the guy knows what he's doing and has survived to tell the tale. There's no seat belts in the back and the scream of brakes and the honking of horns is combined with the radio which is howling out the football. So the whole thing is a is an acoustic maelstrom. But it's it's engaging and it's nice when you get out and, and climb a hill or something. So well if we survive the this next taxi ride then we'll We'll, we'll be in Tama. Industrial hell of, of La Oroya, which mm. we passed on the train. I mean, you could see it was, a, it was another grey landscape of, of uh, total exploitation of local resources and apparently a lot of um, corruption and difficulties with unions and so on, which... Um, it's supposed to be the most polluted place on earth, yeah, apparently, by some there. reports. Um, and... The pe people on the train, a lot of them were, were fully masked all the time because uh, when you've gone from the dust of Lima into this huge industrial pollution and the way that the cars are driving and the way they're held in jams and pumping out mm. in the air is absolutely lethal. So if we survive that, we'll, we'll do pretty well. Lucho negotiates a car and a driver for us to hire, and all four of us squeeze in with our bags into a battered taxi and start the ascent back up to La Arroya, which puts us straight back on Arthur's original mule route. Then, just a mere collection of huts, La Arroya's future was in fact to become known as one of the worst polluted places on Earth. This metallurgical capital of Peru is rich in copper, zinc, lead, silver and gold, 
and there has been a smelting centre here since 1922. The town suffers from critical levels of air pollution and reports have shown that children living in La Arroya have dangerously high levels of lead in their blood. An American company, Doe Run, who have managed the plant since 1997, implemented a public health programme and environmental management plan with the Peruvian government. But the plant was subsequently shut down due to a mixture of politics and litigation. Although reopened now, it remains a complicated and controversial place, which, despite the dangers, the workers and their families rely on for their livelihood. In 2020, the Mining Journal reported that the site was to be transferred to a new company, Nueva La Arroya, owned by the workers as labour creditors. Right, we're recording. And the most haunting thing for me, really, really haunting, was our drive into La Arroya when we passed what well, looked like Inca ruins. They were just shapes of houses, outlines on a, a lovely flat stretch of pampa. And what it was was, was the herdsmen, the shepherds' abandoned settlements, really big, and in, in what would once have been a beautiful spot just above the river. And it was apocalypse now. It was, it was just burnt out, gone. The hills were white. And, and these ruins that looked like they were thousands of years old were something that had been pushed away by the smelting plant. So, um, so yeah, so just to introduce Grant, who's travelling around with us and is our um, resident uh, filmmaker. Um, <laughs> and uh, so what were your impressions of, of La Arroya approaching it? And why did, you, why did you specially choose it as a place you wanted to go? Quite often this happens with filmmaking, the title produces the film after it. So after reading your notes on, the, on this Peru, prospective Peru expedition, and then reading this title, The Gold Machine, suddenly that crystallised this way of thinking about this trip for me, which was like, what has made people come to Peru over the past 500 years or so to extract something from it? What, what, you know, there's this whole sequence of, of, of groups of people who've come here looking for something, wanting to take something which they believe is in this country somewhere, extract it, get wealth out of it, get, mm. what, get something out of it. So I just became interested in that as a, as a... had a report on a series of quests, if you like, and it could be gold, it could be drugs, it could be... Labour, it could be, cochineal. it could be cochineal, whatever, and it ties in with El Dorado, and that's mentioned. Um, uh, it's not El Dorado, is it? In in, in Peru, it's uh, in, in in tropical lands. Arthur does talk about the underground golden forests. For the initiated, you can be taken down into the place where there are golden trees and golden landscapes. Mm. So anyway, blah blah blah. This idea of the title of the film is going to be the gold machine, and so this idea of people extracting stuff mm. from Peru seemed very interesting to me. And then Googling around, I came across, you know, looking at the route of the railway, looking at the places along the way, saw this place, La Arroya. Suddenly there's a picture on the internet of this place that just looks like some kind of bleached Blade Runner hell. Mm. And you Google a bit more and it's like, it wins the award of fourth place for the most polluted place on earth. Mm. The prize for the most polluted, fourth most polluted place on earth. So anyway, that was... That was my way of getting interested mm. in it because that seemed to be, okay, extracting stuff with all the harm that can do. La Arroya seemed to be 
an emblem of that. Where they're literally extracting stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Poisoning the landscape around. Yeah. Poisoning the population. It, it did look like a very poisonous place. Yeah. And apparently, apparently it's a lot better than it was 10 years ago. Um, our guide was letting us know, you know, the, look, you can see the grass growing back on the hills. But, you know, the, the mountains have been denuded by the, by the uh, output, the waste output of the smelter. You know, huge mountains all around just look like bones. Even when Arthur came, when he comes on the railway from Lima to Chicla and gets off, they say that they follow the next 15 miles of the path. It's got the railway alongside it, and the path is being completely despoiled by the, the rubble of creating the railway. So the whole idea of opening a country up is also at the same time destroying the old pathways. So they struggle to, to make that journey. It's a kind of hellish journey that anticipates what's going to come. Going somewhere like La Arroyo gives you a real wake-up call. Although for me it was um, re very reminiscent of South Wales when I was a kid in the in the 50s, you know, the, the high era of the, the coal mines, the tin smelting, the, the copper works, all of these things were around there with lots of railways and it was all beginning to fall apart. It was beginning to gradually go and leave an incredible amount of scarring. And then the, the narrow valleys running up from the coast were all had these thin strips of terraced housing absolutely stepping straight out of your house onto the main road. And it's exactly the feeling we got coming through here now. This is bleaker and harder, but it's the same sort of thing. It just happened in England a little sooner. I think we were the only tourists in town. There's not many um, <laughs> squalor tourists, but there, there are a few, yeah. But, you know, even having lunch there was quite a strange experience. Mm. So you're, you're right on the roadside and there's a... The people felt like they'd been through some mm. shock. They were slightly post-traumatic. Mm. And they're making the best of it in weird ways, the money that's come in, making topiary animals of llamas and things beside the road. And that strange park, what were those things? Like models of yeah, people working in the smelting. It was like smelting. A, a toy town that was too big, somehow, of, of, of representations of the workers in the, in the smelter. Mm. And... Yeah, llamas, topiary llamas. That chimney, good, you could see it becoming part of a future film set, sort of yeah. dy dystopian film set. When they start coming here, they'll do that. Yeah. And then when we went over the mountains, uh, Lucio was promising that we were going to meet some Vicuna herdsmen and give them a present, and the present was going to be the remains of Farm's lunch. Well, I, seem, I seem to be unable to finish any meal here because it's such giant portions. Foods that are left, he doesn't mm. believe in anything being thrown no. away. So we've so got your chicken soup, you've yeah. got a carton of that ready to give to the herdswomen, but we never, we never saw the herdswomen. The next great thing as we crossed this incredibly bumpy road across the hills was this Star Wars palace of a, of a concrete factory which dominated the top of the most beautiful valley. And it's like one of those views Arthur talks about. Arthur sort of suddenly has his glimpses of paradise after this miles of bleak pampa. He looks down towards the Amazon. He sees all of this land laid out with all its infinite possibilities. And it was a bit like that moment, except they've got this massive concrete mm. factory and lorries trundling up and down. And when you look back up at it from the other side, there's a, there's a, a ghost forest of eucalyptus trees that have gone 
they've gone white. They've gone. Mm. They've, they're in shock, you know, and it just, just looks amazing. Mm. And the evening light is stunning. So, mm. so it's a kind of mixture. It's like strange. It's strangely quite beautiful in a kind of really ugly way. Yeah, <laughs> so unexpected to see it, to see it in the middle of the, that's, the Andes. That's the feeling I get it from the book as well that there it moves from these sudden epiphanies to, to absolute horrors that mm. they're in some bleak shed sleeping on the floor and uh, the, the people are all drunk and the, the screams of animals and there's all that sort of Herzogian and stuff and then suddenly he finds a garden that he breaks into and it's full of the most beautiful plants including English ones. You can't believe it. Mm. And that's just down the road from Tarma. Mm. So you found a lot to film yesterday in La Arroyo. It's all yeah. quite inspiring. Yeah. A week there, mm. I think. Mm. And it's, it's, I think the hallucinatory quality of it all is being um, encouraged by the um, lack of oxygen. Mm. <laughs> oh, yeah, everything's at kind of at altitude, isn't it? So, yeah. so do you, can't you kind of feel like um, things aren't, uh, your brain isn't functioning no. so well? Yeah. You were saying with your camera, it's kind of harder to yeah. operate. Or... Yeah, and you were saying when we got out of the train at 15,000 feet, everyone was walking, you know, we, we all disembarked on this plane high up and sort of nobody quite knew what to do and everyone was sort of staggering around, all these tourists, you know, going off the train, just just wobbling like they were drunk or like they were toddlers somehow. It was very really odd. When we got down to Huancaya, we're in the Hotel Turismo and it all should be fine. I, I'm standing in, in the bathroom and, and, and the, the floor is going under me. It's actually, I thought there's an earthquake. And when we were sitting downstairs having coffee with Lucha when we met him, sitting on a sofa, I could actually feel that, yeah. I, I could swear there was an earthquake. And you felt the same sort of yeah. weird thing. Mm. Yeah, I did. The only time I felt something like that after a long, long time in a really rough sea, when you're sea legs, you, you get mm. off and you're still, the waves are still going. It felt very much like that. And I guess mm. it's just strange oxygen depletion mm. hopefully we'll survive a bit longer i think we're gonna um go and sort of take in the gardens a bit here which is actually a really nice restful yeah. place in the, in the hacienda so do we know um, about this place what it was whose it was we know about this place, this place here yeah I mean, th this hacienda was was owned by one of the old spanish grandee family so it was it was spanish rather than spanish peruvian and they had a lot of estates a lot of land and they they to my mind, they must have picked out the choice spot of this country. Beautiful views, build up the gardens. But then when the insurrection occurred and the, the Peruvian Spaniards decided why should they keep sending all the goods back to Spain, they were going to get away from them. There's a war of independence. And apparently in this room we're sitting in now, looking out over the eucalyptus and the cacti, they held the Last Supper, as they called it, Probably on guinea pigs. Um, Don't mention which the guinea pigs. Half the members of the family were going to stay loyal to Spain, and half the family were going to be on the side of the Spanish Peruvians. And after that, the fortunes of this estate sort of fell away. Till now, it's a rather eccentric hotel. Mm. It's actually quite nice and peaceful after all the other chaos that we're driving around in, yeah. which is. Similar to how Arthur found Tama to be quite a restful place. That, that's, I hadn't kind of appreciated the noise. I mean, we're, we're really in a blitz of noise all mm. day long. Mm. It's partly because it's fiesta of San Pedro going on yeah. in every village. And Lucho was very interesting in telling us how that's financed, that, you know, 
members of the community, one person was going to pay for the band, one person is going to do the beer, one person, and it builds you up credit yeah. in the future. Yeah, you probably saved up an entire year to pay for your band or uh, something. My impression originally was this is a village band, these are, the, these are locals, they meet, they practice, but no, they're, they're hired in mm. pro professionals from Huancayo or whatever. 2,000 quid. Mm. Yes. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot yeah. of money, a lot of money. And, and they, they give a good show. And um, it, it, it kind of mingles with each each place seems to have a slightly different religious ritual, but the standard dancing figures are this this white man with the whip and the mask like a sheep and the Spanish grandee and various other slaves, black faced clowns and all that. Mm -hmm. And we've we've had that going banging on. Mm. The dogs are incessant, mm. and the, the, but most of it is the driving. It's just yeah. it's just unbelievable. It's just the driving is the horn, um, and and. The music. and uh, along the side of each road, the dogs, and it's gonna, they're all going to combine in some <laughs> horrendous smash sooner or later. <laughs> yeah, well, I think we'll be doing well if we manage not to What's collide the with the dog on, at some point. Everywhere you stopped to eat was, was TV with uh, football. Yeah, wow. So this is, Peru, this is Peru, Peru through to the semi finals. At the moment. Mm. Apart from the dogs and the well, chickens. I was about the dogs and yeah. the chickens, but I quite, quite like them. They're not mm. too bad. Mm. <laughs> It prepares us for the shrieks of the jungle. Yeah, that would be a whole a whole different soundtrack. When I heard such as going on, the, the, the trees are in pain, the birds are in pain, they're screaming, this is hell, you know, everything is against the human, this is all anti-human, this is murderous, the, the jungle is a killing machine, it's you know, all that stuff. So all that all that's hovering up up the road next.